I am so honored to be here. I have to tell you, I love New York. I can't believe I'm actually here. But I'll tell you, if you want to know the real reason Pastor Tim invited me, I'm a Yankee fan. That's the real reason. When I get to heaven, one of the first questions I'm going to ask, Lord, why was I a Yankee fan? I grew up in the hills of Kentucky. Most of us would be Cincinnati Reds. Well, that's another story. But so good to be here. And I pray that what I have to share will be a blessing. Now, I want to read from Genesis chapter 45. And if you are able to turn to your Bible in Genesis 45, this would be a good time. But before I come to, to read, I want to bring you up to date for those who may not know the story of Joseph. Joseph, who was the son of, of Jacob, uh, also called Israel, uh, is one of the most wonderful stories in all the Bible. Now, what we're getting ready to read will be a fulfillment of a dream. In fact, several dreams that Joseph had. Now, Joseph was the favorite son of Jacob. Jacob was not a good father. He showed favoritism, uh, gave his son a coat of many colors, richly ornamented robe. But on top of that, Joseph had a gift of prophetic dreams. And uh, the dreams indicated that one day his brothers, who were jealous of him, would one day bow down to Joseph. Now, Joseph's mistake was telling the dreams. That's the worst thing he could have done. Uh, and the dreams indicated, uh, as I said, they're going to bow down to him. And then he said, oh, I had another dream. Last night, uh, the, the moon, the 11 stars were bowing down to me. Well, you didn't need to be Sigmund Freud to interpret that one. Uh, they got the message, and they decided that they had to get rid of Joseph. In fact, they were going to kill him, except for a providential occurrence that Ishmaelites turned up, and they said, well, let's not kill our brother. Uh, they sold him to the Ishmaelites, never expect to sing him again. Well, they took off that coat of many colors, dipped it in blood, sent it to old Jacob, who took the bait and said, a wild beast has devoured my son. I will go to my grave in mourning. And the brothers tiptoed away, breathed a sigh of relief. We got away with it. But the Bible says, your sin will find you out. Well, it would be a long time before that would be revealed. In the meantime, Joseph now uh, is going to work for an Egyptian officer. The Ishmaelites sold him to a man by the name of Potiphar. And Joseph had never worked a day in his life, but God was with him, and he excels, and it turns out he runs the household. And then one day, another kind of temptation or trial that he didn't expect, it's only a matter of time that every person that God intends to use, will face sexual temptation. Well, Potiphar's wife began to flirt with Joseph, and she said, go to bed with me. And he refused day after day. You know, most people, I think, 
who refused to have an opportunity for an affair. This was a chance to have an affair that probably he would never get caught. She's not going to tell her husband. Nobody in Egypt would find out. Nobody back in Canaan. And Joseph could have said, well, I don't deserve to be here. I've been mistreated. But, you know, he refused to sleep with her because he said to her, God knows. Your husband trusts me and God knows. Most people, if they thought they wouldn't get caught, would have given in. Well, the angel said, yes. Joseph probably felt nothing. He ran from her. And then she grabbed part of his clothing and used it as evidence and told her husband, this Hebrew tried to rape me today. And now falsely accused, Joseph is in prison. I don't know what he was thinking, but it might have been something like this. Well, thanks a lot. I do the right thing. And now the thanks I get for doing the right thing, I'm in prison. And perhaps somebody watching me right now, you have done the right thing and you expected a reward. Instead, things get worse. But it was all a part of God's plan. The Bible says the Lord was with Joseph. Well, now to fast forward. It turns out because of Joseph's ability to interpret a dream, overnight, he becomes prime minister of Egypt. It's an amazing story. And he knew the time was coming close, that the dreams he had, though he should never have told them to his brothers, would nonetheless be fulfilled. And so what I'm getting ready to read to you now is the moment his dreams were fulfilled. Now, he thought that God gave him those dreams so that one day he could look at those 11 brothers and say, gotcha. And he could have thrown the book at them because he's now second to the Pharaoh. He could have kept them there, put them in prison forever. But instead of saying, gotcha, he begins to cry. He begins to sob. And we read, then Joseph could not control himself before all his brothers and who stood by him. And he cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him because they were dismayed. They were terrified at his presence. And then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And they came near and he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves because God sent me before you to preserve life for you. And there is going to be famine for two more years. God sent me before you. And there are five years left in the famine. And there will be neither plowing nor reaping. God sent me before you to preserve a remnant on earth. And so it was not you who sent me here, but God. May God be pleased to bless the reading and the preaching of this is most holy and 
infallible word. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus by your spirit to be upon every mind at this moment, watching, hearing these words, that their perception of what I say will be heard as you intend. Cleanse my tongue that I will be your transparent instrument to say everything that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. Help me to be very, very clear, very, very simple. Let this be a life-changing word that those watching, listening, will never be the same again. May this word bring great honor and glory to your name, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The word I feel led to bring you today was born in what was at the time the darkest hour that my wife Louise and I had ever gone through. It was when we were at London, Westminster Chapel. Uh, we were there 25 years. Uh, uh, those were great days, the best of times, the worst of times, you could say. But while there, I was brought through a trial that I wasn't prepared for, as far as I felt at the time. What happened was unfair, it was unjust, and the outlook was so bleak. I thought, it's over, I'm finished. And I was angry, I'm ashamed to say, I was bitter. But an old friend by the name of Joseph Tsong happened to be in London, and because I knew he wouldn't tell anybody, I decided to tell Joseph what they did. Now, if I'm totally honest with you, my motive was thinking that he would put his arm around me and say, RT, you ought to be angry. Get it out of your system. I think that's what I wanted. He looked at me and said something that, well, if I could narrow 25 years at Westminster Chapel in London down to 15 minutes, they would turn out to be my finest hour. It's when Joseph Tsong looked at me and said, RT, you must totally forgive them. For until you totally forgive them, you will be in chains. Release them, and you will be released. Nobody had ever talked to me like that in my life. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And then I said, Joseph, I can't. He said, you can and you must. I'll tell you right now, it was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. And almost certainly, the hardest thing you will ever have to do. I mean, it is letting your enemy off the hook. Those who have hurt you, who have wanted to destroy you, who have betrayed you, and when it's so unfair, and all of a sudden you not only let them off the hook, but here's, here's the hard part. It's only a matter of time. You'll have to do it. And that's when you pray for them. Now, many of us, you know, when we pray for our enemy or for those who've hurt us, I've done it a thousand times. I just say, Lord, I just commit them to you. And I'm hoping God will kill them. That's not what Jesus meant. 
He said, bless your enemy. And you come to the place that you actually ask God to bless them. You say, well, RT, I can never do that. I understand. It's the hardest thing one ever does. But I can tell you, if I could somehow get this over, it's the most wonderful thing you will ever do. If you had told me then, in those days, that this was the best thing that ever happened to me, I would have laughed in your face. I, I, I wouldn't have believed you. But I can tell you now, you could put me under a lie detector. It was the best thing that ever happened to me. I cannot tell you how thankful I am. And I can promise you, I could put the authority of my ministry on the line. It will be the same way with you on the condition that you do what Joseph did when he let his enemies, his own brothers who were going to kill him, let, let them off the hook. Well, when I think of what we went through, I oftentimes am a little bit embarrassed to think that what we went through was difficult at all because uh, I've run into hundreds of people and I hear their story and it makes what we went through almost like a, a birthday party. I mean, it was nothing compared to suffering that I've seen in the world. I can think of the racial hatred in South Africa, what those people in South Africa have gone through. I could go on and on. I'm talking to someone now. Your spouse was unfaithful to you. I'm talking to someone you were abused as a child. Your best friend betrayed you. You were promised a job and it was given to someone else. I could go on and on. I remember receiving a letter from the north of England where the lady described what her son-in-law had done to her daughter and to her grandchildren. It was horrible. It's horrible. And then at the end of the letter, she said, do I have to forgive him? And it wasn't easy to write back and say, yep, you have to forgive him. But here's the thing, if I could just get this over to you. Let's say that you have suffered more than anybody around you, maybe more than anybody in New York City, more than anyone in your town or country, and it could be proved that no one has suffered as much as you. <laughs> what would be your response? When you say, well, now you know what I've been through. Here's the thing. When we have gone through something really horrible, we somehow think that we have the loophole or the exception to the rule that in our case, God would not expect us to forgive that. Could I say this to you? If it could be proved that you have suffered more than anyone else, more than the person next to you, around you, the angels have a word for you. Congratulations. Because you have a promise of blessing that the person next to you, those around you, they don't have that promise. They haven't suffered like you have. And I want you to know that God has a plan. And you will be able to say what Job could say. Job chapter 42, verse 2. 
at the end of all of his ordeal, you know what Job could say? He said, now I know no purpose of God can be thwarted. And it's because God has his hand on you. And he sees the end from the beginning. And if you can forgive them and let them off the hook, you will never be the same again. And you will thank God for the grace. There's a purpose in it all. Well, the question is, how does one know that he or she has totally forgiven? I'm sure that if I could talk to many of you, you would say to me, R.T., I have forgiven, and I believe you. I believe you. But I wonder if I could make a, a proposition. It goes something like this. If in the next 15 minutes or so, I could show that maybe you haven't totally forgiven after all. Question is, would you then do it? And before I finish, we'll come to decision time, and you can show if indeed you're ready totally to forgive them. Well, how do you know you've totally forgiven? Proof number one, you don't tell anybody what they did to you. That's what we learned from the story of Joseph. You see, we're told that Joseph could no longer control himself before all his brothers, and he cried, make everyone leave the room. Now, what's going on here? Why did he want everybody to leave? I can imagine there's Joseph in his Egyptian garb. He's got the interpreter, maybe aides, cabinet members, I don't know. And there are the 11 brothers. And at the moment that he was waiting for, for all these years, for his dreams to be fulfilled, and he thought this would be the moment, he would say, gotcha. He has everybody leave the room. Why? I can tell you why. He is going to persuade these brothers to come and live in Egypt. He wants to make it absolutely clear that nobody in Egypt would ever know what his brothers had done to him years ago. I can imagine the interpreter saying, well, you need me here, out. And now behind closed doors, Joseph begins to speak to them in their own language. And he starts to cry. He weeps. And he says, I'm Joseph. I'm Joseph. And they're scared to death. But the reason everybody was commanded to leave, he wanted these brothers to know. He had totally forgiven them. And proof number one, you don't tell anybody what they did. You know, isn't it something that when we're hurt, first thing we do, we get on the phone, here's what they did to me. Why would you want to tell what they did? Well, you can't bear the thought that people will admire the people that have hurt you. You can't stand it. You want the whole world to know, this is what they did to me. This is the way I was mistreated. And by the way, how would you feel if God told what he knew about you? What if God, who knows your secrets and knows everything, decided to tell what he knows? But you see, he won't tell. You will never know what God knows about me. 
Because as far as the east is from the west, so far are our transgressions removed from us because the blood of Jesus Christ washes away all sin and you will never know. And that's the way it is with God. And the proof that I have totally forgiven is that I won't let anybody know what they did to me. Now, there are two exceptions. Number one, you need to tell one other person. I told Joseph own. tell somebody that will tell nobody. Your pastor, a close friend, you can tell one, not two, not ten, not a hundred, one. The other exception, I remember a, a lady coming into the vestry at Westminster Chapel, and she said, uh, they have found my rapist, and they want me to testify in a court of law. I said, well, you must. Oh, you've taught me to forgive, and I've forgiven him. I said, that's wonderful, and I believe you. But this is different. You would be answering a summons, just answer their questions. Uh, you see, a crime must be reported. And so she had forgiven. This was different. What's the real reason we tell it? We want to get even. We want to hurt the person that hurt us. Uh, there's a verse in 1 John 4, 18. Uh, Perfect love casts out fear. And fear has to do with punishment. And you want to punish the person that has hurt you. And one of the ways you punish is to tell what you know. Well, total forgiveness. Proof number one, you don't tell anybody what they did. And by the way, I wonder, is it possible? There's somebody watching, listening. You've been waiting for the day that you would get vengeance and you wanted to get even, and you wanted to say to that person, gotcha. And you waited for the day that they get their comeuppance. You see, the proof that you've totally forgiven, no one will know. And this is where you begin. You tell nobody. Proof number two, you don't let them be afraid of you. You see, these brothers were terrified. They're scared to death. And Joseph wants to put them at ease. And you see, if you're waiting for the day to come when you believe God's going to use you, maybe you've had a word. Uh, you believe one day God's going to use you. And you've wondered, how long, how long, how long? Well, it just may be that you're watching me, listening, to find out how long. I can tell you, as long as it takes to bring you to the place that Joseph came to when he had totally forgiven his brothers. Because God looked down from heaven when Joseph was in that prison, and when he saw that he had forgiven everybody, he forgave his brothers. He forgave his father for showing favoritism. He forgave Potiphar's wife. He forgave Potiphar. He could, we could go on and on. And here was a man that forgave everybody. And God says, I can use you now. And Joseph shows he's forgiven these brothers. They're terrified. He says, come close to me. He just wanted to hug them and love on them. They couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe it. And then proof number three, the fact that you've totally forgiven is 
You don't want to punish them in any way. You don't want to hurt them. You want them to forgive themselves, and you don't wait for them to be sorry. You see, here's what Joseph said to them. I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt, and now do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. You know, some people say, well, I forgive you, but I hope you feel bad about it. Well, you're still wanting them to, to, to wallow in hate, or you want them to, uh, to, to feel bad so that you can feel better about it. You see, it doesn't take a lot of grace to forgive them if they're sorry. I have somebody write me every year. He says, you don't have to forgive until they're sorry. I said, well, you've come up with a way to stay bitter until you die. Don't wait for them to be sorry. They're not going to be. Let this be your motto. If you are waiting for them to repent, you won't ever get it. Jesus on the cross, there were those around who were saying, hey, son of God, come down from the cross. Jesus did not retort. He wasn't waiting for anybody to repent. He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they've done. And you have a chance to be like Jesus. You see, it takes minimal grace to forgive if they're sorry. It takes a lot of grace to forgive when they're not sorry. Or, you know, here's what gets our goat. When they don't know how hurt we are, we want them to know. Listen, don't expect them to know. You see, this is the test. This is whether you want a greater anointing. And by the way, I don't know whether that phrase means a lot to you, but I have one basic hope that anybody watching me, listening, you want a greater anointing of the Holy Spirit. That means you want the blessing of the Holy Spirit on your life and all that you do. I can tell you, there are no shortcuts unless you consider this one when you forgive them and you let them off the hook and you don't wait for them to be sorry. And, and then you don't say, well, I will forgive you now that I know that you're sorry. Don't expect that. The real blessing comes. You forgive them. They don't even know what they've done. But then there's another proof, proof number four. And that is you let them save face. I don't know if you've ever read Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's not a Christian book, but it's, it's a lot that a lot of Christians could learn from. And he's got a section in there, Let the Other Person Save Face. Dale Carnegie says you can win a friend for life when you let them save face. In other words, instead of rubbing their noses in it and making them feel bad, you let them off the hook in a way that you act like you don't even know what they did. You even cover for them. And listen to Joseph, what he does. He says, God sent me ahead of you. Uh, somebody had to get here first because it was told to, by, uh, to our grandfather Abraham uh, 400 years ago, your seed will be coming up out of Egypt. And so Joseph was saying, well, somebody had to get here first. And God just said, Joseph, you go first. He said, that's all. I just came here first. It's Joseph's way of saying, I would have done what you did. And he is not only letting them off the hook, 
But he says, it wasn't you who sent me here, but God. You know, these brothers, they're listening to this. They can't believe their luck that the very man they were going to kill is now saying, God did it. It's all a part of his purpose. Do you know something? That was a word too good to be true. Too good to be true, but it was true. And when I think of that phrase, too good to be true, it makes me want to ask you this question. Uh, when you first heard the gospel, was it too good to be true? I have to say to you, I don't mean to be unfair, but until the word seems too good to be true, you haven't heard the gospel yet. But when you're told what the gospel is, that we go to heaven when we die, simply because we've transferred the trust that we had in our good works to what Jesus did for us on the cross, and we just trust the blood of Jesus. And God says, heaven is your home. We say, that's it? Yep. Well, there's got to be more, but that's it. You see, this is the wonderful thing. This is why Paul could say, for by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, this is God's gift, not of works, lest anyone boast. As long as you're told you've got to do this and this and this, and now maybe heaven, that's not good news. I wonder, if I could just pause right now, could I ask you a question? Do you know for sure that if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? Do you know that? Another question. If you were to stand before God, you will. And he were to ask you, and he might, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Suppose that this was the, the real thing. You're standing before God. And you don't have anyone around you to whisper the answer, to coach you. And you've got to come up with the right answer. And there's only one answer. And I'm sorry, but if you get the wrong answer, you go someplace else. You don't want to go there. And you've got to say why God should let you in. Do you know what you would say to him? I can tell you now. If anything comes to your mind right now, other than saying because Jesus died for me on the cross... If that doesn't come to your mind that you're just trusting the blood of Jesus, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes for anything in the world. But all that can change right now. I would urge you right now to ask, ask God this. Say, God, forgive me. In fact, you could repeat these words wherever you are. Just say, Lord Jesus, thank you. We're dying on the cross for my sins. I know I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sins. Wash my sins away by your blood. I welcome your Holy Spirit into my heart, and as best as I know how, I give you my life. That's it. Did you pray that prayer? Did you? Are you ashamed that you prayed that prayer? He said, why did you ask that, R.T.? Because Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. If you prayed that prayer, you may be by yourself. I'm going to ask you in the next 10 seconds 
is to stand up, even by yourself, just to show the angels are watching, or you're with others, and you may be the only one. You prayed that prayer, stand up. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. Just let them know you're unashamed. Now, if you've done this before, it means a recommitment well done. If you've never done this before, uh, the Bible says you've just been born again. So happy birthday. Well, that's really not the end of my sermon today. I just thought the moment I came up with that phrase, too good to be true, I needed to ask you that question. But now there's a fifth reason you may know that you've totally forgiven. And that is when you don't tell what you know about another person where you could have destroyed them. For example, these brothers, when they find out that Joseph has forgiven them, they're saying to themselves, oh, that's well and good, but he's going to make us go back and tell our dad the truth about the coat of many colors and that we're the ones that did it. They would rather die than have to tell their father that. Do you know, I didn't read the whole passage. You can read it. Joseph writes the script. He won't let them tell their father what they did. And, you know, that's God's way. He not only lets us save face, but he protects us from our darkest secret. God's not wanting to tell all he knows about you. We've all got skeletons in the cupboard. We all do. And God wants you to know this will never be known. Proof number six, and this is so important, in a way the most important part of what I have to say to do. Total forgiveness is something you've got to keep doing as long as you live. Here's how we know this from the Joseph story. 17 years later, Jacob died, and the brothers come running, and they make up a story. And they say, Joseph, before dad died, he told us, please forgive us for what we did. And Joseph starts to cry. And he assures them that he still forgave them. This is the thing. Joseph didn't forgive them just for a moment. It lasted. It was for real. He really had forgiven them. And it shows it goes on and on. You must forgive them today. You'll have to do it again tomorrow, a week from now, five years from now. Ten years from now, do you know what? It's the secret to an ongoing anointing. God may have let this happen just to test you, to keep praying for those who've hurt you. If I could tell a little story, while I was at Westminster Chapel one Sunday morning, uh, I was uh, in the middle of of the worship. We were singing a great English hymn. Uh, Come, my soul, thy suit, prepare. Jesus loves to answer prayer. And right in the middle of the hymn, here comes somebody. They sit on the fourth row from the back. It's someone who has done incalculable emotional damage to one of our children. When I saw that person there, I, I lost it. I could barely sing. I mouthed the words. And then had to read the scripture and sing another hymn. That's the way we did it in Westminster Chapel in those days. And then the pastoral prayer. I do not know how I got through it. What saved me was time to take the offering. And a deacon comes and 
welcomes the people and says the morning offering will be received. And I'm sitting beside the pulpit, and um, I didn't expect this. This has never happened before or since. God entered into a conversation with me. Now, what I report, I don't say this is verbatim, but it's pretty close. It went something like this. Uh, R.T., you want to see revival in Westminster Chapel. Is that true? Well, yes, Lord. Really? How much? Oh, very much. Which would you rather have, revival in your church or I send judgment on that person out there? Revival. Good. Pray for that person. I pray for that person. That's not good enough. Ask me to bless that person. Bless that person. Do you mean that? Yep. Say it again. Bless that person. Say it again. Bless him. Bless her. And what if I answer your prayer and I actually bless that person? (laughs) Lord, you wouldn't do that, would you? But you see, that's the point. And I had to start saying, bless them. Bless them. It was killing me because I knew God was going to do it. (laughs) You know what? That person thrives today in London. Thrives. God answered my prayer. And then I began to notice. I began to get more insight. I began to write more books. And it did me so much good. I decided to come up with an enemy's prayer list. I started to pray for my enemy. And it became selfish because God was blessing me. And if you reach that place that you pray for them, and it goes on and on. And so that's the point. That's the seventh point, that you bless them. And when you're there, God may just look down at you as he did at Joseph and say, now I can use you. You see, what God has done for me, he's done for a thousand or a million. He'll do it for you. I has not seen or ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things that God will do for those that love him. And you show how much you love him when you pray for your enemy and you mean it. And God likes that. And he will honor you. Heavenly Father, take this word. Apply this word by your Holy Spirit. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.